Welcome to Blog Talk Radio.
to be with you after I don't know how much issues we have had putting the show up this week with Blog Talk. You are listening to Bonnie Albers On Air, and I am happy to say that I am your hostess with the mostest, Bonnie Albers. Today, we have such a show. I only hope we can get through a little bit of what my next guest does, but I am so excited to present to you an author, a Reiki master, healer. He goes all over lecturing and teaching about crystals and stones. His two books, I am telling you, you all know me, I'm ADD, and I really can't read all the books that people send me. But my husband even read these books. I am still reading them because they mean so much, but I am telling you, you are going to love them. My next guest and the guest I'm presenting today, and I can't wait to speak with him and to bring him directly to you, is Nicholas Pearson. Hi, Nicholas. There, Bonnie. How are you? <laughs> I, oh, well, you know how, I, I must be fabulous because you know how much problems I had explained yesterday. Actually, challenges, I won't say problems, that we've had putting the show up this week. So I'm so glad I get to have you on the show today. Nicholas, your books, I have to tell you, are amazing to me. I love crystals. I love stones. I know you get into minerals. And your books are, they transcend time, energy, and I, I, I'm, it, history, actually. So I do want to ask you a little bit about yourself and how you actually started to write these books. But I'm going to let you tell everybody what the two names of the books that you have written uh, are. Because if I do it, I'll just screw up the seven archetypal stones. So I want you to tell <laughs> everybody what what's the name of the books that you've written and how did you get into this? And then I'll be kind of leading you down the path of those seven archetypes because they're they're fabulous. And I don't understand how you got them, but I understand when I read them why they were in those uh, places for you and for all of us. So please tell everybody who you are and what you've written. Hi there. So, um, yeah, I've written two books that are out on shelves so far with a whole bunch more coming. Uh, the first of which came out last fall. It's called The Seven Archetypal Stones, Their Spiritual Powers and Teachings. And this one is sort of a, a guidebook through our spiritual path as spiritual beings here on Earth, using these seven stones as sort of guideposts, mentors, teachers, and a roadmap along that way to self-realization or enlightenment. Um, the second book came out um, early this year. It's called, it's called Crystals for Karmic Healing, Transform Your Future by Releasing Your Past. And what it does is it guides readers through some really good hands-on tools for connecting to the mineral kingdom for healing on a really deep level to release the karmic patterns that are inhibiting the expression of our soul's life, the kind of karma and weight that we carry with us that, that might keep us from, from really growing. So I, I love that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so I started with crystals pretty young in life. I was the kind of kid who always wanted to pick up rocks everywhere I went, much better than, you know, spending money on a souvenir until I learned you could buy <laughs> rocks as well, of course. Um, 
and my my grandfather. Uh, my first book is dedicated to my grandfather, uh, Ron Pearson, and uh, he gave me my first piece of quartz, and that really transformed things. Instead of just these sort of inert earth tone rocks that you could find in nature, he introduced me to the beauty of gemstones and the mineral kingdom. Uh, really opened up for me. So I've I've just absolutely loved studying every little fine detail that I can. For a while, I worked um, at the Gillespie Museum on the Stetson University campus while I was enrolled there. And even a little after I left Stetson, I volunteered for a bit. Um, so really wonderful earth science museum, but it's home to one of the largest mineral collections in the southeast of the U.S. Um, so I wow. got to, you know, get my literally get my hands dirty with the science of the mineral kingdom, although I was self-taught with as much science as I could. That really um, glued it all together for me. It helped bind all these sort of separate ideas. And what I started to notice is the more that I read about the spirituality of crystals, especially from authors in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s who um, channeled a lot of information about crystals because there wasn't Mm -hmm. a lot of other research being done. Um, These would be people who might not have even spoken the same language or lived on the same continent and therefore did not read one another's books. But they would often describe minerals that had similar compositions or similar structures or, or other similarities from a you know a scientific sort of mechanical perspective um, without knowing what the compositions and structures were. It would give them similar themes, similar messages, and describe their healing properties in similar ways. So I started to see these connections, and I really wanted to pursue them and um, kind of investigate why and how they form and, and try to find what that actual mechanism is behind why the mineral kingdom works for us. That's kind of what I love forward. I want to make, thank you. Yeah. I really want to make it all practical. Uh, so in all of my books, you're going to see hands-on exercises. It's not going to be just this stone fixes this thing in your life. It's really going to be, how do we connect deeply to the mineral kingdom to reap those benefits? Well, you know what, Nicholas, unless it's a very quick, you hear that I'm ADD, I I chomp at the bit, unless how to for me means you do it for me. So I need you to tell me how things work and then I process it. I'll tell you, you're you you say that it's you know that you do a you know workshop and all things but when i read part of your book and and i've been actually very immersed in both of them i it made sense to me and when it makes sense to me and i'm pretty bright so it's it's not like it takes you know it takes a long time for that light bulb to go off but it has to grab me and what grabbed me and i want to get into a little bit about this cuz i want people to know i want to delve a little bit deeper even though i would these books are a must read so for everyone at the end of the show i'd like you to tell them how to order these books i i don't sell things on my site and i don't you know i i'm not one that tells people what they have to have but these two books are definitely a must read for everybody but what what the first book that you uh that i got very into was the archetypal stones i couldn't figure out why seven and seven to me is a spiritual number it's my number it's my journey and my life path which is really interesting and then i got into what you were calling them so i like because i could say it and I, and then you'd be just sitting here shaking your head yes bonnie yes bonnie so i'm going to let you tell everybody i love the names of those seven archetypal um uh stones that that you've made their spiritual powers and teaching you actually grabbed me by the name i'm going to give you an example and then you can take it from here but 
uh, my favorite, and I'm going to skip to three, so you can go back to one, is lapis lazuli. So I'm assuming that's a stone. I feel like that's blue or green. And it says starry sky, all seeing eye. I mean, how could you even now I know what that archetype is. So you've really made it clear by just what you call these seven archetypes as to what I'm going to read. How did you come up with this? And if you can go through that seven with the names, and unless you want me to do it, because I can, and then you can fill in. Um, I, I'm just amazed at why and how did you come up with them? And, and what are they saying to people? Yeah, so, you know, first off, let's talk about what the word archetype means. A lot of people associate archetypes with like Jungian archetypes, which are sort of a, a psychoanalytical or psycho-spiritual construct. But the word archetype itself is not necessarily related only to the study of ourselves. The, the idea of an archetype is a blueprint against which all things are built or measured. Um, so an archetype kind of functions like a, a spiritual template. And in the world of the mineral kingdom, you know, crystals are direct geometric expressions of the heart and mind of creator. And so wow. they have this very archetypal energy, this really idealized form and structure. And, um, you know, the, the whole book started because I was carrying a piece of obsidian in my pocket one day and I was driving to work in my previous career, you know, my past life in this life, if you will. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> and, uh, I always have a stone, just about always have a stone or two or three or seven on me, uh, given what I'm <laughs> attempting to do with my day. Uh, but this, this particular day was obsidian. I really wanted to sort of call upon that warrior strength that it has. This is a stone that everywhere in the world where it's been found and sometimes even far away from where it can be mined, um, it has been traded and gifted and shared. Um, it, it's basically used for very similar ideas. We have spear points and arrowheads and cutting blades and scrapers and uh, ritual tools that are, are incisive. They cut through. They, they represent a sharpness and deftness to them. And on the same hand, obsidian is a natural glass and it's uh, softer than a lot of other hard stones and takes a really nice shine. Even just when it breaks, it has a, a really resplendent fracture. So ancient people used it for, you know, the inlay of eyes and statues and for polished spheres and orbs and, of course, for that sort of proverbial obsidian mirror that's used for scrying or seeing into the other world. So I was thinking about how universal these ideas were. It didn't really matter where you went. You saw the same uses for obsidian. Cultures that lived, you know, 10,000 years apart on different continents that had no connection to one another would do the same things with it. And that in and of itself is evidence of an archetype because an archetype is that sort of universal blueprint. And um, I started looking for other themes in the mineral kingdom that do the same thing. So um, I had a lot of ideas. I thought maybe I could start with 12 because 12 is a great spiritual number as well. But, you know, there's so much information here and some of the stones are very hard to separate out from others. Uh, I'll give some examples of that in a moment. Um, so I really kind of distill it down to seven. And these seven represent um, you know, quintessential signposts on our way to self-actualization, on our, on our road to spiritual growth. Um, so each one kind of builds upon the next. You can read the book out of order, but it'll reference things from, from previous ideas and themes and messages from um, other chapters. So when we read them in order, what we actually get is this... Um, this set of tools to enable us to really grow. 
on a deep introspective level at first and sort of ascend to the spiritual heights of what our potential is. So um, every chapter actually has three archetypes. There's not one archetype for stone, there are three. Um, so with obsidian, the first two are the spear and the mirror. The third is the void. When we go to jade, we have um, the archetype of the mask. We also have this sort of draconic image, this immortal guardian that shows through. And um, the, the third and final one is rising to heaven. I also have in chapter three, lapis lazuli, a beautiful, brilliant blue stone. You can check out the color plates in the book to see images of them. Um, and this one, when we see it, you know, freshly polished or even just broken to the raw stone, it looks like the night sky. It's a deep blue, covered in, you know, glittery golden pyrite stars, little swirls of white clouds made from calcite and a bunch of other minerals that we won't bother trying to pronounce today. Um, <clears throat> we've got, so we've got the, the starry sky, and then we also have the image of the all-seeing eye, lapis has been fashioned into um, eye makeup and eye-shaped amulets for millennia and has long been associated with vision. So that was a very, very easy archetype to sort of pull out of there. Um, and well, we can I ask you? Idea of, sure. Well, can I ask you, because I know someone's listening on who has problems with her vision <laughs> right now. She's mm -hmm. got a, a, something going on. So if you would say that um, lapis lazuli or lapis lazuli is starry eye, all-seeing all eye, starry sky, all-seeing eye, and would it be a smart thing to wear it or carry it um, when you are having difficulty seeing? Um, the kind of vision that lapis represents is our spiritual sight and not our physiological okay. well-being. There is, <laughs> there is some connection to our, our physiology here, but, you know, first and foremost, I don't prescribe anything here. Yes. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical practitioner. So um, although I believe that crystals are energy medicine in and of their own right, we just need to be really cautious about the way we um, approach things. And, you know, the other thing is that... Um, you know, if, if two different people who are experiencing similar symptoms go to their, their, you know, given healthcare practitioner, even though they might look like they have the same things on the surface, there could be two very different um, issues at hand and therefore require two totally different treatment protocols. And that's true of, right. you know, spiritual healing as well. So just because we have eye problems or vision problems might not give us enough information about what stones would be the most helpful. Um, so there, there are a whole host of things that we could suggest on a, you know, a topic like that. But uh, I would really say, you know, kind of go within and find the stones that call to you. And those would be the best ones to start with, even if on the surface, they don't seem to have anything to do with our eyes. Okay. Because, you know, I believe the same thing. Well, I'm a nurse, so I always go to the 3D world. Then I go into my metaphysical world. So I, I love the combination mm -hmm. of them. I feel that our, 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 uh, our body reflects what our our uh, mental body or our metaphysical body is is telling us. So I love that you said that we don't diagnose here. We don't we don't prescribe. But what we do is we're all in the metaphysical energy. Um, and metaphysical energy is a great thing. So even though you're going to specialists and you're going to this and that, using the energy of the earth, using the energy of oils, herbs, stones, crystals, 
I always feel is a helping tool. It helps us be able to heal um, from within to without. So I love that. And and um, yeah, she, you're going to be talking to her. I'm sure she's very interested in this subject. So okay. So so what? So why did you pick? And I know you haven't finished the rest of the archetypes, but why did you pick these archetypes? Did it call to you and say these stones do this? These stones, you know, tell people that um, they are used for this because that's where um, when I'm reading, I'm a I'm a little confused. And that's why I want people to understand. So you put stones together in these archetypes because of that you found that all over the world that they mean the same or they are used for the same in all different civilizations? So, you know, the idea behind this was that uh, I wanted to find messages that were as universal as we could get them. So the stones that were chosen were chosen because they have uh, common themes wherever they occur. So sometimes it's okay. hard to sort of extricate what the bottom line is. When you go through the book and you actually read it, you'll see that, um, you know, in the case of obsidian, it gives examples of where the obsidian blades have been used throughout time yes. and what that symbolism is. Uh, in the case of lapis lazuli, not only does it look like the night sky, but many, many different cultures that had access to lapis. And it was traded across really great lengths to distant lands to give people access to it as an artistic medium and a spiritual tool. Um, they would carve wow. things like he- heavenly deities, like Nuit, the star goddess uh, from uh, Egypt, or even symbols of the hawk and the scarab out of it. And these are both celestial uh, symbols for the sky gods and for the solar deities. So again, taking us to the, the abode of the gods, the celestial realm, the place where the stars live. Um, so sometimes the, the archetypes that we can see in the world of form are a little bit more abstract. Um, and so we kind of have to read between the lines. In the case of jade, jade is often used to create hollow, empty things, such as um, two sacred ritual tools from ancient China that are called the, the bee, which is kind of like a hollow disc, almost like a, an ancient CD, if you will. It's not coded mm-hmm. with information, but its symbol is itself a, a, you know, a spiritual teaching. Um, and then also mm-hmm. things like uh, vessels and tools that are empty, like bowls and cups and so on and so forth. So it, it, there's a sense of oh. emptiness about it. Even even the shape of the mask is itself empty and illusory. So this kind of backs up the the more abstract symbols with the ones that are a little bit easier to see. So these wow. seven were chosen because they were they were the most universal. There were lots of contenders that I really wanted to try to add to the book. Uh, Ruby was one of them. Carnelian was another. Um, uh, turquoise was a really good contender for it, but the issue was that at the end of the day, some of these stones were difficult to separate from other stones. In the ancient okay. world, before they knew anything about mineral science, it was very hard to classify things. So if you read you know, your average copy of the Bible today, it refers to quite a number of times uh, sapphire, beautiful blue stone. But the issue is that um, you know, the people who lived in the region where these books were written had no sapphire whatsoever. So all blue stones crazy? for them were called, yeah, all blue sapphire. stones were called <laughs> sapphire. And really, um, you know, our English word sapphire comes from Greek and earlier than that, it comes from Hebrew, a word called kapios. And, um, and that's something that you could scratch or scrape. In other words, the word sapphire is supposed to, in its earliest use, refer to a stone that's easily carvable. The irony here is that 
actual sapphires are too difficult to carve for ancient people to have done it, not to mention the, the tablets of the law. You know, the, the Ten Commandments are said to be written on a giant piece of sapphire or blue stone, and there's no way they would have had sapphire that large to carve on, nor would they have been able to actually inscribe it. So um, this is a case of mistaken identity where the ancient world knew lapis lazuli as sapphire in some parts of the wow. world. Um, something very similar. That's to, so uh, interesting. Yeah, it, uh, something remarkably similar happens with emerald. Our, our English word emerald ultimately comes from a Greek term, maragdos, which just means any green stone. So it was <laughs> one of those things I had to sift through and find what was really green emerald and what was maybe green glass or a green agate or green jasper. And in some cases, you know, these other these other helping stones were supporting the role of emeralds and sort of fulfilled similar archetypes, had similar symbols. But, um, you know, ultimately I wanted to write about emeralds and not all those other things. So um, part of the reason I settled on these seven is they were the most universal, the most fundamental. They were widespread enough in ancient time that I could find a lot of data to support this. And um, the way I did my research was, you know, first and foremost, checking in the consciousness of the stones. Are these really the seven? What is the order we're going to put them in? What feels right? And then from there, I went to things like the archaeological record, trying to find evidence of how these stones were used um, in a, you know, physical, tangible, you know, sort of everyday use. But then mm -hmm. what was the cultural symbolism ascribed to it? And, and what, what spiritual value did these stones have? And then, you know, from there I got to weave in things like history and art and mineral science and language. I'm a big language nerd, um, if you couldn't tell already, <laughs> with the etymology of sapphire and emerald. I, I love languages. So I got to take a, a little bit from all of the fields that interest me and are related to our understanding of the mineral kingdom and sort of build the platform through which we can really experience them on a spiritual level. Because... Our, our spiritual reality is not separate from all of these other aspects and avenues. And we kind of live in a world where we put spirit in its own box and everything else happens on its own, whether it's science or industry and technology or art and education and language. But, you know, we are we're first and foremost spiritual beings. So even when we're engaged in the absolutely, sciences, that is an opportunity for spiritual growth. I absolutely agree with you. We have to get, I want to get, because I want to get to your next book too, but I've got to tell you, you're up to Emerald. And that's, I want everybody to know that's the fourth in your book, the fourth archetype. Mm -hmm. So when you get to six and seven, they're my thing. So <laughs> let's move from Emerald to the fifth archetype, because I can't wait to hear my favorite it, you know, my number seven, and 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 I love what you said. I don't want to give it away until you tell it. But um, actually, six and six is my 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 actually favorite, only because you put the words the wand and the lens in there, and I happen to love that. So uh, before we let everybody else hear what I'm going to say, I want you to to tell the other two or actually three archetypes because. We want them to read the book. We 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 so want mm -hmm. everybody to enjoy them. If anybody has looked at Judy Hall's book, this is like an incredible a piece also. So if you have those books, you're going to enjoy these. So and, and then we've got to get to karma because oh my God, karma is like my thing. So what is the fifth archetype? 
that you in your book that you present to everyone? So Asher Emerald comes amethyst, and these two stones work very closely together. They're both very alchemical in their nature. Um, so yes, temperance and alchemy. Symbolic. Um, so we see alchemy evidenced in the whole idea that amethyst, the name of this stone, comes from Greek, again, amethystos, not intoxicated or not drunken. And in the ancient world, what you would do is you would you would brew really concentrated wine, and before they had glazed vessels, they could keep things in glass and ceramic that, you know, were not porous. They used porous clay and, and earthenware, so they would actually line the inside of these amphora, these vessels, with tar to make them waterproof, but it didn't make your wine taste great, um, and their oh. wine was fairly thick, so they would, cu they would cut it with uh, water and with honey. And, you know, the idea is if you had a, an amethyst goblet, an amethyst vessel, and you poured red wine in it, it looked just about the same as if you had an amethyst vessel and you poured really, really watered down red wine in it because the purple of the stone made it appear as if it was wine. So you could drink and drink and drink of mostly water and never get drunk. So it represents wow. in our lives the ability to sort of abstain from the things that that are weighing down our consciousness, you know, refrain from the behaviors, the patterns, the thoughts and beliefs that, that we accrue in our lifetimes that are not supporting our spiritual growth. So that's where that temperance part comes in. But even the whole idea of water and wine, the, the, the idea of transforming one into the other, that's where the alchemy bit comes in. Um, so after that, we have chapter six, which is quartz, you know, one of the most ubiquitous stones in the healing realm because it comes I to love different and shapes and colors. And technically speaking, quartz is actually there in two chapters because amethyst is also quartz, but you know, specifically <laughs> we're speaking about violet quartz versus colorless. Um, and quartz speaks to us through a language of light. We have the wand, which is this archetypal shape of the stone yes! itself, the primitive tool of the magician. But also we've got those refined healing tools, the beautiful um, ceremonial wands and healing wands and Marcel Vogel's crystal wands that are just amazing tools of healing. But what we see when we have a transparent piece of quartz, even in its raw six-sided prism form, when light passes through it, it, it is refracted, it is bent. And sometimes we see the full spectrum come through, other times it just changes the angle. Um, and so quartz is very much related to optics. And ancient people knew yes. this, and we don't give the ancient world enough credit for their understanding of technology, especially optical technology. Um, and so the, the second archetype there is the lens, because we find, I mean, there are, there are literally thousands of ancient lenses, globes, spheres, um, and other optical tools that have been made. And in cultures as far apart as Mesopotamia and, you know, classical Japan uh, into the Americas, all throughout uh, Europe and Asia and Northern Africa. So I mean, uh, this idea of lenses is really, really mm -hmm. widespread, and it's, it's illumination. Quartz is teaching us I all about love illumination. It. I love it because I, I, when people say, well, what's your favorite color for me? And I know this has nothing to do, although it could have to do with crystals because you're attracted by color or feel or vibration to a certain crystal or stone. My favorite always is clear. It's it's going to be that quartz, that Herkima diamond, the sil, uh, what is it? So my wand is a um, or it's not a wand actually. It's just a long piece of of quartz. It's selenite, and I 
am so happy when I have clear in my hand. But clear really is all color. Um, and it's not void of color. It's actually all colors, which is your lens. And the wand is, I love that symbol because it represents change and and creation and creating and that wand it reminds me of you know the wands in the tarot deck so i mm -hmm. i just love that I, I i do love quartz uh and i'm a color person i mean i like colors but if you ask me what i'm going to grab first if you put out crystals and rocks and all kinds of stuff that clear stone or then comes the moonstone that i'd grab white it's really weird isn't it no, I don't think so at all. You know, we all have different tools that we're drawn to, and you know, that's that's perfectly acceptable. Um, I my, my preference might change on the day of the week depending mood and other things, but um, the things that I love, I love regardless of what other choices are in front of me. So yeah, I think that's, that's yeah part for the course. What is your favorite? Um, well, while so we're speaking of it, till we get to seven, what is your favorite? If if I put a, a if I put a big crystal, quartz, everything, uh, stones in front of you. What? And I know you said you were drawn to many, and it's it depends on the day or what's going on in, in the sky. But if I said to you right now, Nicholas, pick a stone, pick a crystal, what would that look like to you? On your average day of the week, my favorite... Um, gemstone is a member of the quartz family called Petersite. And Petersite is a very close relative of tiger's eye, which forms as quartz replaces oh, a, a family of asbestos-like minerals. Um, but Petersite can be gold and blue with tinges of violet and green, flashes of red and swirls of gray. And it actually looks like a, a stormy sky, sometimes called the tempest stone, in fact. And it helps to weather the storms in life. And it also really oh. helps us to embody our our personal truth and live from our space of personal power. I love that stone. I might have to check that out. You know, that's the thing. I don't know the names of these stones, but oh my goodness, I love that stone. That's a great one for a lot of people listening because um, everybody, I all, you know, my one of my favorite sayings goes like this. If it rains, dance in the rain. You know, there's a big thing. Mm -hmm. if, if, if it is stormy and it is, you know, raining in your life, Go dance in the rain. Change the energy. Mm -hmm. Dance. Be happy because it will. Ch it could change in a heartbeat. So I love that stone. Is uh, can you say that again? It's Petersite. Petersite, yeah, and it's actually in my second book, Crystals for Karmic Healing. Um, so it's in the chapter four, which is the survey of all those different stones. Yes, um, I did. Read, I did read it. I just, you know, we have to get to that book, but that was a really cool book. This is this is amazing. Like I said, these are these are in-depth books, guys. So, uh, you know, you're going to get very into them. And I don't, I don't know if you can read them once, uh, Nicholas. It's something you have to really. I I read and then I went back and reread some of the chapters that I was uh, looking at because I was so interested in it. But let's get to. I, I know that we are um, getting in depth with a lot of this, but let's go to the seventh mm -hmm. archetype. Absolutely. So finally, 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 <laughs> finally, we end with um, diamond. So diamond is sort of the the king of Un all gemstones. Um, Diamonds are a girl's best friend. 
aren't they though? You know, they're they're everybody's dress trade at the end of the day. <laughs> what I love about diamonds, uh, when we compare it to all the other stones, um, it has the most the other stones in this book, at least. It has the most regular composition, the most orderly structure. It is, of course, the hardest of all naturally occurring um, minerals here on Earth. It has one of the highest refractive indices, which means that it bends light greater than most other stones, and that's why we see the beautiful fiery colors that appear inside, um, you know, faceted uh, occasionally in raw stones, but usually they need to be polished to bring it out. So diamond is all about perfection. And what we get from this perfect order and perfect composition is something that cannot be conquered by other things. The word diamond itself comes from Greek, um, adama, that which cannot be conquered. Um, the conquerable you know, uh, and the thunder, unconquerable and the thunderbolt. Right. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I had so, to say it. Um, it is it is an unconquerable stone because its brightness is brighter than other stones. Its hardness is harder than other stones. It takes a diamond to cut a diamond. You can't use another stone to do it. So diamond literally is physically harder and therefore can physically outperform other gemstones. And when we raise our consciousness to the level of diamond, we ourselves become unconquerable. Diamond is said to represent, in, in esoteric lore, it's related to the first ray of the seven rays, and that is the ray of uh, the divine will. And you know, ultimately, divine will is to the, the only thing that God, creator, you know, flying spaghetti monster, whatever word works for you. The only thing the divine wants for us is for unconditional love to be made tangible in the world. So therefore, yes. diamond's function as the stone of, of will is to engender uh, unconditional love. And there's that saying that love conquers all. That's what diamond is teaching us through this will, through this, you know, surrender to the divine will rather than, you know, the small will. It's not what Nicholas wants. It's what creator wants for Nicholas, which is love. Um, we, we ourselves become something that cannot be conquered. The one vibration that outperforms, outcompetes, that reaches farther than and overcomes all of the vibrations in the universe is unconditional love. And that's oh, what that's diamond so beautiful. is there to offer us. Isn't that it? is so beautiful. It is so beautiful. And I love, I just love, well, seven, I'm going to, you know, here is my ADD. I'm going to go back to seven is my soul path number and diamonds are just all about me. But I love what you said about it. It's unconquerable and the thunderbolt. The thunderbolt would yeah. be that part in life that happens, but you can't be conquered because love conquers all is what I'm hearing from you. And I love that because people always ask me, do you feel like that I'm going to find love? Do you feel like maybe I was not put here to love? And I always say, no, you were put here to love, to love yourself, to love others, to love and be loved. Our, our furry friends, our human friends, our non-human friends, and everything above. So I so agree with you with this one. And I love that you ended that seven archetypes with the diamond. Did you do that on purpose? Absolutely. You know, it's sort of this progression. We start with uh, obsidian, which is an amorphous solid. It's actually not a crystal at all. Um, so it's this 
sort of variable structure, variable composition. There's no order at all, and that's why it represents the creative void of the third archetype. And as we sort of progress through these stones, we come into greater and greater levels of order. Jade is not one stone, but actually two different rocks, and each of those rocks has varying compositions of different minerals in it. Uh, we have lapis lazuli in the next chapter, which is also a metamorphic rock, which means it doesn't have a single crystalline structure. It's an aggregate of several different kinds. And then we go through the beryl, which is uh, emerald. We have amethyst, which is colored quartz. And then we get to pure quartz. So we're, we're gradually getting more refined. And we end with diamond, which has a very simple composition. It's just crystalline carbon, but its structure is so perfect and so orderly and so vibrant that it represents this level of innate order and perfection. It is, it is literally the God consciousness made manifest. So when we connect to that level of perfection, we experience it in our own lives. Well, you know what? This reminds me of, isn't this crazy? But the first thing that came is we have, se- well, we have more than seven chakras, but our, just like there's more stones, more crystals, more minerals, uh, the seven basic chakras, number seven. So I, I love when things start to, uh, be synchronized and i love that you put seven archetypes and we have seven chakras that we talk about and there are many more chakras but those are our basic ones now i have to get to this next book because the next book is karmic healing transform your future by releasing your past you've honey do you know how many people would love to be able to do that to love to be able to have some type of roadmap i know that we're not going to say that this book is the be all end all of releasing all of our karma from the past but it is a a stepping stone as as you would say to transforming your fu- your past your future by releasing your past i mean it's just a, a crazy um that that i can't even pronounce it but that you know we look at our future but our future is made up of our past and our now so how do we create a better future is by healing the past and the now and i love this concept so how did you go into this i look at the stones or the or or the quartz or your crystals that you put in here and a lot of them start with a base and then they go to different colors as you come up so that's interesting to me but how did you write this book why what does it mean to transform your future by releasing your past and how do those crystals help well let's start by talking about what karma is Uh, we use the term a lot and I feel like there are a lot of people who, who kind of get part of what karma means, but maybe we don't see the bigger picture. And it's because we don't really have a, a simple definition for it. And the honest truth is that the word karma, we, we get it in English from Sanskrit, the word karman, which means deed or action. So wow. karma itself it is merely the record of every action. And they're not just physical actions like going to the store, mailing a check on time, clocking in when you're supposed to at work. It, it's every inner and outer world action. And um, the law of karma is sometimes called the law of the circle because what we put out returns to us or the law of cause and effect because it is the measure of these causes and their subsequent effects in our lives. And there is nothing that you can do that is not a piece of your karma not contributing to it for good or for bad. Karma itself is a neutral force like electricity or oxygen or water. 
you know, uh, we can use electricity to power our homes or we can fry ourselves with it. Water is something <laughs> that, you know, nourishes us, washes us, gives us life or can drown us and wash away villages. Um, so karma itself is, is neutral, just like these things. It's not good or bad. It's what we do with it and how we interpret it, whether we resist it or, or try to, you know, resolve it. That well, how do we stay in balance? That negative. Well, how do um, we get, you know, you know because the, I love that you said that, and I agree totally. I, I think or I feel that people use the word karma and they, they, they put a negative or a challenging aspect mm -hmm. to it. Somebody, I, I think we, you and I have discussed this, but I, somebody told me I had 32 lifetimes to come back or 34 till I actually cleared my karmic slate of the challenging karma mm -hmm. that I have done. So I laugh at that and I said, that's okay. I, I want to come back because I love love in, in, in any form. But how do you, when you're looking at karma, and I know this isn't, you know, is really off the little bit, bit bit of the beaten path, but how, how do you keep a balance of karma? Or do you uh, say I mean, you never do? Well, I'd like to think we have that opportunity to, and there are certainly people that you will meet or have read about in history who have done that. Um, you know, mm -hmm. the historical Buddha, for example, he, he could not have reached that state of parinirvana, of total enlightenment, where he leaves the cycle of samsara, birth, death, and rebirth, if he still had karma left to be resolved. So whatever karma he needed to, he resolved in his last physical incarnation. And there are lots of oh, other okay. historical masters, you know, Jesus the Christ, who, who've also exemplified this wiping the slate clean of karma. And the whole idea behind this is they were human beings. They were divine, but so are you and I. So they're not doing anything that is not also within our power. Um, oh, I really love that. To do, we, we need to stop and think about what it is that we're, we're doing to generate more karma or perpetuate a cycle. Uh, we, I like to kind of think of it in two ways. We have, um, in, in Buddhism especially, the, the whole idea of positive karma or good karma is referred to as merit. And merit is something that is selfless. We have to take care of ourselves, but we don't necessarily have to do things just for us. So, you know, good merit is when you hold the door open for a stranger, when you say thank you, when you're, you know, paying your toll on the highway and you stop and you look the toll person directly in the eyes, smile and thank them and ask them about their day. It's the little things in life that, that can sometimes move mountains for us. But we can also do other things, you know, be of service to express your soul's divine will naturally allow you to be of service to the universe. So, you know, for me, I worked in retail prior to this, and I was generating plenty of not-so-meritorious karma because uh, I wasn't fulfilling <laughs> my divine life's purpose. I wasn't happy. I wasn't able to contribute to the light of the world because it was weighing me down. You know, for a lot of the time, it was great, but it got to that point where it, it wasn't serving anymore, and I was no longer of service. And when I left that and eventually started writing, that's wow. where... Um, that's where I really started to step into my place of power and yeah, things shifted. There's just a very simple action. So if we want to stay in balance, one of the best things you can do is listen to that sort of inner navigation system you have. Listen to your intuition. Let your heart guide you. It's going to lead you in a direction where you can, one, be joyful, and two, be of service to the world. And if we do that, we're, we're already generating positive karma. 
Well, I love that. And I do have to tell you, though, I know people who are in, and I'm sure you were like this when you were in uh, customer service. My sister was in it for a long time. And I, she always felt that there were so many people, and she really didn't love what she was doing. But when she realized that she was actually smiling at people that were mean <laughs> and trying to ask mm -hmm. them about their day, she was actually helping them transcend or transmute some of their negative feelings and then it became okay for her even though she couldn't do it long that's a lot of mm -hmm. people that are in uh, service in, in and can't get out of that kind of work if they just think that what they're doing and not have the same attitude as maybe some of the people who come to them in customer service, yeah. but actually can transmute some of that energy for them, that is of service too. So I love that. But let me ask, karmic healing. So how are mm -hmm. crystals and how do you explain crystals being of help to transforming and releasing your past to transform your future? How do you it, describe it and what it can do or what we can use these crystals to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with big picture. Everything that we do think, say, intend, wish for, or experience in life is, is karmically related, whether we're generating new karma or living out old patterns of karma and sometimes mm -hmm. living out and living out and living out and it goes on and on <laughs> and on. Um, so we're... Yes, because we don't learn. <laughs> right. Well, you know, part of the reason that we have karma is to track the progress of the soul. We can think of it as sort of like a measuring system or a grading system. We take all of our classes past fail. So um, the beautiful thing is you get to repeat the soul lessons as many times as you need to. So you can come into incarnation after incarnation as many times as you need to to master the same soul lesson. That's, that's a gift that we can do that as often as we need to. The the curse here is that you have to do it as often as you need to. <laughs> so um, I don't know you know, if I want to repeat sixth grade for every time I come down here. I mean, it's just not going to happen right. here. I want to get out of the sixth grade. So, yes, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, if we look at the other kingdoms, for example, um, the, the human kingdom is considered the fortunate rebirth in, in Buddhism and a few other uh, philosophies. They believe that in order to, to achieve the idea of, you know, total cessation, the idea of entering nirvana, um, we have to be embodied in a physical human body to do that. And it's only from this space that we can transcend. Um, and that's because it's only the only space where we can adequately deal with our karma. Now, the mineral kingdom still has consciousness, still has spirit, still has form and um, soul to it. But their only karmic activity that they do independently is to come into physical form. So the only decision, the only free will choice that they make is to be here. So unlike human beings, your favorite piece of selenite is not going to wake up at four o'clock in the morning on Wednesday with a cold sweat thinking, oh, shoot, I'm sick of this. I'm going to go try to be hematite or calcite or amethyst from now on. I'm just, I'm not cut out for selenite. Um, they, they don't, they don't step into these false identities and, um, limit themselves. They understand perfectly embodied divine wisdom in their forms. And so therefore they do nothing but express that. So everything that happens, whether it's within the earth or coming out of the earth, and we use it, you know, for science, industry, art, technology, or for spiritual purposes, 
the crystal kingdom is of service to us, and service is the way to generate good karma. So just by being around our most beloved mineral treasures, as long as we're, you know, working with them respectfully, even if we're not doing much, um, just being around them with, with reverence and respect, we are reaping the benefit of their positive karma. And it's kind of entraining our energy field to engage itself in positive karma. But more, more deeply than that, there are um, a whole host of uh, rocks and minerals and crystals and gemstones that are very karmically oriented. They, their primary mission, or sometimes secondary tertiary mission, are to help us deal with our karma. And because of wow. that, we have this beautiful toolkit that's described in this book of maybe 50, 60 different rocks, minerals, and crystal formations um, that are here to help us specifically transmute our karma. And they, they work in kind of different ways. Um, so, you know, you've got some stones that are just there to be your mirror. Obsidian, for example, with the spear in the mirror in the other book. It's there to reflect to you. So it shows you what the karma is or what the lesson might be. It doesn't do anything to help you release it on your own. Or you have to take the energy or the information provided by those reflective stones and make your own life choices with it. And sometimes that's all you need, especially if it's not a, a really persistent karmic cycle. Maybe it's just uh, you, you always arrive at the same point in your career, no matter how many times you change it, where you're a little bit unfulfilled and you can just do better. Maybe all you need is that aha moment. And those reflective stones can be the catalyst for that aha moment. And then you go out into the world and make the change on your own. Some other stones work a little bit differently. They go into that layer of karma and um, either slow it down. You know, there, there are times where no matter how hard you work, you always feel like you're swimming upstream and you try new things and you change course and the same thing always happens time and time again. This is what wow. I call karmic inertia. Yeah, this, this is like karmic inertia. So inertia tells us that an object in motion remains at motion unless acted upon by an outside force. So that's how this happens with karma, especially if we've built it up over eons from lifetime to lifetime to lifetime, making the same uh, learning opportunities, we'll call them, the same <laughs> mistakes. When, yes. when, when those happen, I call them challenges. Again, right. So sometimes even when you make the right decisions in this lifetime, because there's so much inertia moving forward, you all by yourself can't stop that cycle. So what some stones, especially those that are rich in things like lead, will do is they will slow down the inertia. It's almost like pressing pause. So it doesn't change it or eliminate it. But by slowing it down, then you can kind of get out of the way. It's like if the bull is charging at you, if it would charge at you in slow motion, you know you wouldn't get hit by it. And that's, that's what these sort of um, congealing oh. or slowing stones do for us. Um, so well, others can I are going to actually go. Sure, go ahead. What I want to ask is this, um, when you, how, I think and feel that people don't know how, like when we're talking about crystals and you're talking about lead and you're talking about let's, what we need to do to, I love that, you know, release and look in the mirror and it helps you reflect and possibly see what, you know, you need to change to move on. And then the lead is for, you know, slowing down your karma you know, that inertia. Can I ask, how do you use them? Because I hear these people in my ear going, okay, he's mm -hmm. talking about this, but he's not telling us. 
how to use them. Do you put them in your pocket like you do? Do you lay them on the floor? Do you carry them? Do you talk to them? I'm assuming you talk to yours, but do you put them on your fireplace? What do you do to, to uh, enable that change? How do you use them? I think there are a lot of different options for there are so many different ways to access the benefits of the mineral kingdom. So you have to fit something that matches your lifestyle. First, you got to have the right stone and the right stone for you won't be the same stone for me more than likely. Um, the nice thing about this book is it's got pictures that can help you identify what the different karmic healing stones are. And all those different yes. Formations. I love the one. I, um, so you can, I love my salad. Sort of I love it. Yeah. Salad is wonderful. So you can fine tune <laughs> and get, get the right stone for the, the job at hand. And then you want to pick how you want to use it. So the last chapter in this book, there are five chapters. Uh, chapter five is your karmic toolkit. It teaches you how to put the crystals to use. Um, so it goes through crystal basics, like how to cleanse and program stones. Um, even more than that, it, it sort of gives you ideas for other ways to invite their energy into your life. So whether it's a stone for daily wear, you want to wear it as a strand of beads or a pendant or stick it in your pocket. It gives you specific therapies that you can do, like awakening past life memories using the chakras that are just behind the ears. You have two, two small minor chakras um, that are called the past life chakras, and they're, they're just behind your ears. And so certain stones are really um, well, well equipped to help us sort of stir things up from the energy stored in our past life chakras so we can experience it on a conscious level. And by doing that, what are we, can, those? we can assist. What are those? Um, you know, can you give so jade is a great one. I absolutely love using jade for this. Priscelli bluestone, which um, comes from the whales in the Priscelli Mountains. Um, this one's wonderful. Um, it's, it's actually what the older ring of Stonehenge is made from. Uh, lapis lazuli demordiorite is a great one. It's a dark indigo bluestone. Um, any and all fossils would be wonderful for it as well. Um, so those are some really good examples for you. Um, you can also attune to very specific lifetimes. There are some charts in the book that give you ideas of um, dozens of stones, jade and iolite and halite and opal and apophyllite and diamond and a bunch of other things. Um, and it'll give you an idea of how to, you know, sort of awaken any past life memories that might be embodied in the thematic statements provided by those stones. Like, for example, um, with a stone like ruby, you could use it to tap into a past life from the places it comes from, such as India or Sri Lanka or Myanmar, or you could oh. use it for past life messages of a past life where maybe you experience injury or a misuse of wealth or power. So we can do this in meditation, in dream time, um, in lots of other different ways. So the book is designed to sort of take you on a tour for hands-on applications for them. And, you know, of course, right now we're only communicating with our guests via audio. So it's kind of hard to convey how to do this without mm -hmm. showing them. And that's why the book is there. It shows you with pictures where to place stones, how to invite them into your life, what to do with them uh, in a really hands-on, real, and tangible way. So that way you can, you can experience this deep level of healing. Well, can you please, now that you've done that, please tell everybody how they can get a hold of your books, which one they might really be drawn to, both or individual. And we might have a drawing. I'm, I'm thinking about these books are really need to get out to the public. So I, if you really would like one of these books and I'm going to um, donate it, please send me an email, bealbers, A-L-B-E-R-S, 714 at AOL.com, and put in the subject box, 
I want one book and I'm going to pick somebody who is going, who is listening to the show, who would like the book and, and please, and then you can write me which one you would like. And I am going to donate that for my show to the people out here. I feel that greatly about these books. So please tell everybody, Nicholas, how to get a hold of your books. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find my books everywhere that books are sold. You can get them on Amazon.com. Go visit your local Barnes and Nobles. I've I've had friends and readers all over the country who've been sending in pictures of it on bookstore shelves. Go support your local metaphysical stores. If they don't have it in stock, they can of course uh, order it from their distributors. Um, you can get it straight from my publisher's website, which is innertraditions.com. And of course, if you track me down for one of my live in-person book signings or events or workshops, and I've got those going all the time, a whole bunch coming up soon too. Um, I'd be happy to sell you one myself and sign it for you. Well, wait a minute. You know what, Nicholas? You live in the same town as I do. So where are you going to be? And maybe I will come and then you get to meet me in person. I can sign you. (laughs) (laughs) My very next event is going to be this Saturday at Gypsy Apothecary uh, on Orange Avenue in Orlando. Um, What's it called? What's it called? The Apothecary? Gypsy Apothecary. Yeah. Uh, so that one's on Saturday, and you know, off the top of my head, um, I'm trying to remember what my next event in this area is going to be. Um, I'm going to be back at Gypsy Apothecary next month as well, um, but I don't remember the, the exact date. Um, I'm I'm kind of all over the place. I leave for Paris yeah. as well. I'm going to go do some interesting rock-related things in Paris, as well as just be a normal oh, wow. tourist because every now and then people deserve a vac- vacation. But um, <laughs> you know. I'm, I'm really well, you need to, to bring, bring back some new frequencies. Yeah, you need to bring me back a frequency, and I'll then meet you at the at the apothecary. But I, I I'm All definitely right. going to try to get there and, and meet you. I do want to open the phone lines just a little bit for you. You know, we don't have sure. too long, but I I do want to open the phone lines to somebody I know is chomping at the bit to talk to you. But before I do that, any last words on the karmic? So, you is there any stone that you feel especially in your your book, The Karmic Healing, Transform Your Future by Releasing Your Past. Is there, if you would say to somebody, uh, the best crystal you can use, I know it's it's really a hard thing and you, you get very um, into each stone is for certain people and drawn for certain reasons. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree. But if you could name one stone that you would tell everybody, if they're having a little bit of hardship in their life, if they're not being able to find, they're being blocked in love and they just can't, you know, can't seem to make it work. Is there any stone or crystal that you feel that would be a great one for them? Well, how about this? We're going to compromise because there are so many stones and I'm so attached to them all. I'll give you my top three karmic healing stones. Um, the okay. first one is actually flint. Uh, flint is a really common rock, sacred around the ancient world, and it helps us tap into past memories and also ancestral karma. So it really helps with the karma that we carry that we inherit from our families and our soul group. Uh, next, wow. we're going to recommend aquamarine. Aquamarine is such an important stone for healing. It represents courage and illumination, and it really helps us express our highest light potential. It is a stone of going to our spiritual blueprint that sort of 
template that's made for our soul's progress so we can retrieve the information from it and correct our course with it, become a little bit more fluid and a little less rigid so we can embody this light. And when we do that, we naturally release the karma that's inhibiting the expression of your soul's light. And finally, um, a little bit more common, we're going to go for amethyst. Amethyst is such a potent stone because not only is it one of those seven archetypes, but one of, one of its archetypal roles is that of alchemy. So when we apply that to karma healing specifically, what we get is the opportunity uh, via the violet flame and a few other uh, messages that Amethyst gives us to put negative karma into its alchemical energy and receive positive karma out. If you imagine that your karma is like a, a set of scales in front of you, on the side you've got the negative karma that's holding you back, and on the other side, you have merit, which is your positive karma that's moving you forward. Amethyst is one of the very few stones that allows you to take things, take weights from that negative side and put them on the positive side. So your obstacles and hindrances become tools and teachings for your very evolution. Wow. I, uh, that's beautiful. So those are the three top ones for karma healing everyone. Um, again, it is flint, aquamarine, and amethyst. Uh, put that in your toolbox because I know there's a lot of people that are listening that work with crystal stones and, 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 and I'm sure this was helpful to them. Um, I am going to go for, to the phone lines for just a little bit. And I want you all to know you are talking to Nicholas Pearson. He is a crystal he, a stone, a mineral expert, and I call him an expert, although he's much more probably humble than me. So please welcome our expert on the field and any question he'll answer, especially I want to hear. I love karma. So, or I love anything about karma. 719, you are on with Nicholas. Hi. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Hi, Kelly. Uh, this is the girl I was telling you about who rocks with the crystals and everything else and probably has enjoyed this show so much. I know Eventually. she's going to want that book. Yes. <laughs> what would you like to say or ask, Nicholas? Go for it, Kelly. I got a little, I, I was taking notes as he was going down the, the archetypes. And mm -hmm. sometimes things happen it, 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 on this end for me that I, I missed a couple of things. And, and if I could sure. get, um, I missed archetypes two, three, and six. <laughs> oh, all my right. God. Well, the okay. stones themselves, um, in all seven stones, in, uh, a big picture are, are going to be obsidian, jade, lapis lazuli. Then we have emerald, amethyst, clear quartz, and diamond. Can you go by what you have them? I think it's important, Nicholas, that you have yeah, well, the title with each yeah, but because I, I feel – go ahead. I can do that, but that's only two-thirds of the archetypes. They're actually more in the book than you see in those chapter titles. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, Obsidian, the chapter title is called The Spear and the Mirror, but those aren't all of the archetypes. Chapter 2 is called The Mask and the Immortals, but again, those aren't all of the archetypes. Um, so then we have lapis lazuli, which is the starry sky and the all-seeing eye. Uh, with emerald, we have the emerald tablet and the holy grail. Um, amethyst is temperance and alchemy. Quartz is the wand and the lens. And diamond is um, the, the unconquerable and the thunderbolt. Yeah. I just, you know what I like cool. about them and I, and then I'll let uh, Kelly talk, but what I like about them, it gives the, the, it gives the reader a feel 
it, it's not the be on all be all and end all. We know that, but it gives them a feel for what that chapter is going to be. It it actually drew me in more when mm -hmm. I read the names of the titles, Nicholas. So for anybody oh, who is really maybe a novice to a mid novice, <laughs> this just draws you right in. So Kelly, I know that you 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 love stones, and I know your favorite. Is there anything? You, yeah, you want to ask? <laughs> Go ahead. You're you're up for oh. it. Golly, um, I I I thought I heard Bonnie say at the beginning. Are are you also involved with Reiki at some level? Was that uh, did I hear I that correctly? I am. I am. In fact, um, just while I've gotten on the air, I got an email from my publisher about my fourth book. I just got to see its image, its cover just in the last hour and a half. So, um, yeah, I, I'm a really passionate Reiki practitioner and teacher. Um, I'm a practitioner of a style called Jikiden Reiki, which is really the only authentic, totally Japanese, non-Westernized system of Reiki that's out there in the world. Its teachings are beautiful and simple and lovely and really direct. Um, and they're sort of a different flavor than a lot of the more Westernized traditions. Um, but I also teach and practice uh, a variety of other sort of syncretic styles where I call upon the best practices of Japanese and Western style Reiki and sort of bring them together. And my my upcoming book will be out um, a little more than a year from now, sometime in either spring or summer of 2018, is sort of my love song to Reiki. It's my, my hands-on manual for really mastering the elements of the first and second degree. Wow. Ooh. Okay. You're talking to a Reiki <laughs> master, by the way. Uh, Nicholas, you're talking to one. <laughs> She's one. Yeah. <laughs> and I was I, I was curious. So do you do you do you at all practice? And I don't. And, and this may be another book. May be another book coming up for you. Um, do you practice like uh, a laying on the stones? Like when you're you know when you're doing Reiki with people, it's like do you ever have have them use stones or or put them place them on the body or have them hold them uh, for specific things or or not? I do and I don't. Um, the more I've sort of delved into the origins of the Reiki practice, the simpler and yet more profound it becomes, and the less need there is for external tools. That being said, Usui Mikao, he's the founder of Reiki, as well as um, one of his approximately 20 shihan or, or instructors that he, he taught, um, Hayashi Sensei, they, they both used clear quartz, especially as a means of sort of transmitting the Reiki energy to the stones to be given to people who couldn't come to in-person treatments. Uh, so there is a, a history of bringing crystals and Reiki together since its inception in the early, early 20th century. Um, so I do like to use them sort of in a complementary fashion, but it kind of just depends on the need of the person. You know, some people really need additional support. Um, some people, it's the idea of the prop that we give them, the tool that we place on them, rather than just the laying on of hands. And sometimes it's that sort of symbolic action that unlocks some level of healing. It allows them to give permission to that moment to receive the healing on a deeper level. Um, I do love weaving them together, but I also love keeping them separate. So um, use them together in a way that is meaningful to you. There's no wrong way to do it as long as you're making people feel good. Right, right, and can give them a focus, right. Mm -hmm. How about, uh, what is your and favorite it, stone? And, and, 
Well, my birthstone, of course. <laughs> I love, I, I love the amethyst, and I, all, I, I love the quartz family. They're just because they come in such an amazing variety of colors. They've, they've had, they have pink quartz now. They have green quartz. They have, you know, things they keep discovering. And it's like uh, the, the quartz. You know, I, I just work with like the raw crystals, and I see. Um, the ones that attract me, I, they, they have fractures in them, but it, it causes them to have rainbows in them. And yeah. a lot of the stones that I have collected have that rainbow element to them. So I really, really enjoy those. Well, awesome. uh, yeah, they've, they've got that inner, that inner prism, that inner lens. So they're right. speaking to you with that same language of light. It's beautiful. Right. I am going to move. Would you tell? I, 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 yeah, I, I, I would ask. Um, can you say it again or, or spell it? Because I, I keep, I keep missing. Who, who is the, who is the, the, the founder of Reiki? Is the name? Uh, Usui Mikao. Um, so in Japan they Usui, do the family okay, name first. Okay, that's okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, I was only like, yeah, that's that's what I have is a Usui Reiki. So I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> it was just being said too fast. My 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 phone wasn't getting it. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Well, honey, I know Thanks you so want one of the books. Kelly. Yeah, Kelly, I will talk to you very soon. Okay, thank I you. I will attempt to email you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I knew she'd want the book, uh, Nicholas. She had already asked if she, if she could be in the, in the drawing. 713, you are on with Nicholas. Hi. Hi, Nicholas. How are you? I'm excellent. Welcome. This is Candy. She's, oh my gosh, I'm so happy Candy's on. She has not been feeling well. So I'm really happy. She's one of my team. And she actually made your poster. She she redid your poster because right. I, you so much, yes, it was beautiful. And she, she, she rocks with the crystals too. So go ahead, Candy. Please ask him whatever you need to ask. Hello. Oh my goodness gracious. Hi, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> I've been fine here and I muted myself again, I guess. Oh great. Oh, you are on with Nicholas. Yeah. Oh hi Nicholas. Um my favorite um crystal uh, crystals are um amethyst and um rose quartz. Those are the ones that I'm drawn to. Yeah. My question for you is, did you, <laughs> you probably know this, but did you know you're a psychic too? You know, it's, it's a skill that I exercise a whole lot, but yeah, it's in there. It's in there. It's <laughs> part of you. <laughs> yeah, you, you, listen, Candy's giving you a reading. Candy's our angel reader, <laughs> and she always yeah. gives messages well, you, wherever she can. Yeah, so. it's, it's, um, it's all over there because the, the angels are giving you these downloads for these books to um, give to other people because it's something that people need to know about. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's so timely mm -hmm. and it's, it's humbling to be able to participate. So thank you yeah. for that. Thank you for that confirmation. I appreciate you so much, Candy. Mm -hmm. Is there anything okay. you're, else you're getting? Are you, are you, did you order write anything, Candy? No, I didn't. I've just been listening. He's very informative, and I, I, these books look really interesting. 
Yes. Okay. Well, I am going to um, let everybody know again that. W Go ahead. I said thank you. Oh, you're oh, welcome. We love you, Candy. You know what? One of our big things on our show is when we have guests, we if we have messages for them, we've got to give them. That's just part of who we are. So I do want to go over again how everyone can get a hold of you. And let me ask you a question. So I'm going to come to your workshop. At least I'm going to try. So tell everybody what you do, how to find you. Do you have Do you have your website that you can give everybody? Do you have a list of your schedule or where you're going to be? So right now my website is under construction. So it's not quite ready to be like revealed mine. to the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can, however, find me on social media. I'm pretty active. You can find um, my professional Facebook page is The Luminous Pearl. Um, and you can also find my uh, author page on Amazon.com or on his website, innertraditions.com. And it has a list of places I'm going and things that I'm doing and people to whom I'll be speaking. So you can sort of check out when I'm going to have more interviews and podcasts links to um, you know articles and write-ups and things that I'm putting out there as well as see the in-person events that I'm doing all around. Um, if you are in the Central Florida area, I really encourage you to check out the Gillespie Museum on Stetson University's campus in DeLand. It's out in western Volusia County, not too far from uh, Daytona Beach. I actually have an exhibit featuring the, the work that inspired the seven archetypal stones. They're in the museum. I have specimens that are on loan, and then the museum brought um, an extraordinary display together with their own minerals and their own research to sort of support this. You can get hands-on experience of these seven archetypal stones. I know we don't all walk around with you know, huge pieces of jade and massive pieces of amethyst and raw diamond crystals. So you can go experience those in person here here at the museum, and that, that will actually be showing until May 5th. The exhibition will run until close to the end of the semester. That is, you know what, I love that, and, and I'm pretty close there too. But I do have to tell you, it's really crazy, but I had somebody um, ask me if I wanted a healing session. And I normally don't do this because people can't, I don't know, I don't feel it. And and so I said, sure. He was a he was an um in very interesting guy. He's a healer. He was eight years as a monk, and I really like him. And so he put these big stones all around me, and I mean huge. They looked like they were the size of people, and they were crystals. And do you know that after probably him chanting over whatever was going on, um, I started to get very sick and I started to get very, I got, I couldn't even get up. And he said to me, be careful when you get up because the stone's energies are very very powerful. And I had never felt that. So I feel like, and you know, we do use crystal like in watches and, and things. It is a very powerful uh, healing element. I don't know if, you know, and it's really crazy because I felt it. And maybe do you, I mean, is, do you, have you ever heard of that? I mean, I was physically sick. I couldn't get up and I, and I felt nauseous and I feel it was from all the crystals around me. You know, everybody has a different reaction, a different response to different energies. Um, just like mm -hmm. we don't all interact with herbs and medicine the same way because we have different constitutions. Uh, and then mm -hmm. there's also the matter of dosage. Um, you know, uh, you know, a healing herb that is great for you to use in the, you know, milligram dose if you have, you know, grams or pounds of 
could be really unpleasant, if not toxic. And it's the same thing with the mineral kingdom. You know, sometimes we, all we need is a small concentrated dose instead of huge, huge, huge stones. Um, so we just have to be mindful of, of what we're doing and how we intend for that to, to manifest in our lives. It's great to have enormous crystals. It's really hard to carry them around in jewelry or in your pockets or your purse. Yes. Um, so, you know, form follows function. We want, we want the right size and shape to match what we're trying to accomplish with it. So certainly I've seen plenty of adverse reactions with stones in my day. I've had, you know, an, enough discomfort of my own too. Um, many times we are, we gravitate towards the stones that feel comfy, that feel warm and cozy, that have this sort of home vibration to them where they're, they're comforting. Those are generally mm-hmm. speaking, not the stones that represent the, the more important lessons for you. Those, those are the stones that represent things you've already mastered. It's the stones that yes. make you feel uncomfortable, that lead you to that realm of, of disquietude that are really there to offer a lesson that you haven't yet integrated because their energy feels so alien to you and feels so destructive to you precisely because you, you haven't sort of integrated that lesson. So those aren't necessarily the stones you want to use out in public. Um, not something you want to buy a big strand of beads of or buy a four pound piece to stick in your pocket and walk around and go through life with because you might not get a whole lot accomplished. You might feel just overwhelmed and frazzled at every turn. So those are the kinds of things we use in the comfort of our own home, in quiet, sacred space at the right time and in short bursts. So absolutely, it's totally possible to have those sort of, um, you know, really intense reactions to the mineral kingdom. Um, yeah. But, you know, by and large, most of us won't have those. Um, well, I'm not going to say it was bad because I feel like he was trying to um, clear my chakras and energies. And so probably it was clearing them. And, you know, even though I want to say all of my energy, all of my my airy being is of love and light and has nothing that has to be junky or anything in there. I'm sure that because uh, because I, I speak with a lot of people that it was. And I and I feel like that that those crystals the way they made me feel must have let me release uh, p- pieces that were in my uh, chakras or in my light that needed to go. And that's not always pleasant. So mm. I think I was like happy that that happened, but I, I don't know that yeah, I'd want to do it on a daily basis, but I love crystals. We have about eight minutes left. So I do want to tell you and let everybody know that we are just excited for you. We know you've got another, obviously another book coming out and I don't know that you want to reveal the title, but if you do, we're oh, here. What's the title? So um, book number three comes out this fall, and that one is called Crystal Healing for the Heart. Um, I'm in the middle of the editorial process right now. We just finished the first round um, and should be here probably mid-September is the current estimate. Um, But it's, it's a really fun journey through... Um, again, seven chapters. That 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 number just keeps coming up over and over again, doesn't it? Yes. Um, yes. It goes through. You must be chapters, my best friend. Uh, <laughs> you know, seven such a phenomenal number. In a way, it, it represents um, you know some really uh, really deep level healing, and um, it's it's a sense of completion as well. Uh, but this particular book. Um, is near and dear to my heart. It's actually based on a workshop I've been teaching for quite a long time, um, since about 2008, maybe maybe the earliest versions of it in 2007. 
Um, so the book is available for pre-order right now. You can go on Amazon. They actually have it 25% off. You can pre-order it. It'll ship to you in the fall. Um, the, the whole idea of this book is that it's meant to sort of guide us through a spiritual journey into a state of wholeheartedness, a state of wholeness, a state of you know, in-depth evolution. So it offers hands-on exercises and meditations with more than 60 different gemstones and minerals. Um, it explores the anatomy of our physical heart and its spiritual symbolism. It shows how the, art, the heart itself is a sensory organ and it is the coordinator of your energy field. And it teaches you how to fortify your heart with emotional strength, to reclaim your own willpower, to cultivate forgiveness, to nurture romantic relationships, and of course, to use the heart as your ultimate spiritual teacher. So wow. it's a, a really fun book. Uh, I'm, I'm really proud of this one. And then now that I have the official title, just just as of um, <laughs> this, this Just as of my show give, today. Right. I can, I can give you the title of the fourth book. You guys are the very first to hear it ever. Um, it's called Foundations of Pure Reiki, a manual uh. of Shoden and Okuden. So that one is a comprehensive guide to the first and second degrees of the three Reiki Ryoho, as well as Reiki's history and its Western evolution. I am so excited. I know my show's a first. I know we we are uh, breaking records on uh, on the air. And I know that I love when we could be the first to feature something. So even though it's my ego, I got to tell you, I'm excited to announce that or have you announce that for uh, for you or me because I love that. But I have to ask you before we we actually wrap this up. What do you think of, okay, I have a problem with uh, the heart chakra being green. Now, we've we've gone through this with my callers, my guests, and I love green. Green's one of my favorite colors. But I all, everybody always feels the heart is red. So what I came up, when I look at the heart chakra and I look at crystals, my my one, my eye goes right to the watermelon tourmaline, which goes from red to green. What do you think of that? Well, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second first. The whole idea <laughs> of color correspondences and chakras, um, you know, this, you know, Roy G. Biv, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet, uh, applied to the chakras mm -hmm. only dates to 1977. This is not an ancient association between the chakras and color and energy. It's a, it's a modern yes. tool to help us understand the symbolism of it. So your heart chakra is no more green than, right. than any other part of you. Um, but, you know, the truth is that, that that holds true for all of your chakras. No no single energy center is defined by a single color that is that is only as old as 1977. Um, it's it's barely older than I am. So um, you know use the stones that work for you. More important than color is a crystal's composition and its structure. Um, if you were to compare you know different stones, different colors of stones that were the same mineral species. So, you know, different colors of quartz or different colors of corundum or whatever it was. Um, the total difference in their energy field is only about one fourteenth accounted for by its color, which means that 13 fourteenths of its entire energy uh, are, are made up of all those other factors that, that make a stone what it is. So color is a very, very tiny piece of the puzzle. And everything else is ultimately more important than color. Now, as beginners, yeah. we're often drawn to color because it's the first thing we relate to. And yes. therefore, it, it sort of draws us in. But the deeper we build that relationship with the mineral kingdom, 
the more similarity we tend to see. You can look at something like calcite or fluorite or quartz or agate that occurs in every color of the rainbow. So how, how much can they really be different just by their color alone since they share the same composition, the same internal and external geometries, the same hardness, the same density, the same clarity and, or diaphaneity. Um, so all those factors are, are what come first in determining the energy of a stone. So if you find something that's really heart-centered to you, such as watermelon tourmaline, or maybe ruby or garnet, or you know, even something like golden calcite or phenakite, um, then you know, that's okay too. They might, they might not be, according to the modern model, associated with the heart chakra, but they might have a loving heart energy somewhere in there. And it's totally okay to sort of step outside the, the norm. Box. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. We have two minutes and I do have to thank you so much. I am in love with these books. I can't wait to uh, sink my teeth into your next two. So I would like to let everyone know, again, they've been listening to Nicholas Pearson. He is the author of the two books we sponsored and two more coming, Crystals for Karmic Healing, Transform Your Future by Releasing Your Past, The Seven Archetypal Stones, and their spiritual power, Ella, and their spiritual powers and teachings. And if you don't think I can feel Nicholas's power and pull to the earth, I can, because you all know I'm psychic medium, but I can feel his weight. I can feel who he is. And he is so, so cut out for this. I can't even time we talked at earth 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 i don't care what he has in his chart but it's <laughs> gotta be somewhere in his chart a lot of earth anyway i do want to thank you nicholas i hope that you will come back and uh we could talk more about the books and get more into the most exciting most fabulous healing specialty which is crystal stones and minerals so i want to thank you again and i want to let you know that we appreciate Goodbye. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.